Let us pray. Stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us. Because we are sorely hindered by our sins, let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and deliver us. Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom be with you and the Holy Spirit, honor and glory, now and forever. Amen. There was a, this week, uh, I was on Twitter, and there are two references in the sermon that will date me as either young or as somebody trying to be younger than he is. Um, and the one is that there was this poll on Twitter this week. If you find the other one, let me know. I know where it is in the sermon, by the way. Um, but the, the, they said, what are your favorite hymns? Advent hymns? And he had two choices, Advent hymns, or the second choice was, I prefer bad hymns. Um, which I think is, is a sentiment I share, is that I think the Advent hymns have this way of naming for us the truth of the world, the gift of God's incarnation with us, that, that though we may exist in darkness and tough times and trial, that there is God who comes near to us and lifts us out of that. And they name the work of the cross as well. They name both the beauty of what we call God's incarnation that we see in the manger, and they also know that that manger, the wood of the manger, is the wood of the cross as well. And so that, that I, I thought that was a funny thing this week is that, what are your, and so as we were singing them this morning, we sang, uh, Come All You Faithful, which is more of a traditional Christmas hymn. But some of those other ones, Ah, Holy Jesus, for you, for me, it was your incarnation. Let all mortal flesh keep silence, that there's something happening when Jesus comes among us. These, these big truths, and I love the way that the, the Advent hymns try to narrow that down, and the Christmas hymns as well. John the Baptist, though, he has this line. This is the second Sunday, sort of, with John the Baptist. Last Sunday, we talked about John the Baptist at the beginning of Mark's gospel. We really focused on the phrase, at the beginning of the gospel. And John the Baptist and Mark is a baptizing fellow. He's doing lots of baptisms at the beginning of Mark. But in John, he's not so much John the Baptist, he's John the Witness, which is a little bit of a different turn on who he is and what John is for us. John, in the beginning of Mark, has this sort of, uh, as we know him, he's wearing the, the, the hair of animals and eating wild locusts and honey, whereas the beginning of John's gospel has a different flavor to it, that John comes as a witness to something, a witness of something that's going to happen. And he has this way of saying to the people who say, who are you? What are you doing here? He says, but there is one among you who is actually the one that we are looking for. Now, I'm not big on like imagining yourself being in that crowd. If you've heard me preach enough, I don't do a lot of, now imagine yourself, uh, I, no, I'm just, no, but I'm going to do it now. Um, because that there are lines of people out here at the Jordan waiting to get baptized by John. And we learn in Mark's gospel that this baptism is, a, is sort of a, um, a baptism of confession and repentance, a baptism that says we're going to set our lives in a different direction now. It's almost like a good old-fashioned altar call in some ways. That that's what John has going out here. And so these people who are coming towards him and the people coming to answer his question, John says to them, but there is one among us whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. 
John has this way of sort of knowing who he is in the world. And so we're going to sort of work from the back to the front on this passage in some ways. But I like what John has to say here is that, that John is not, John understands who he is not. He understands who he is as well. And there's this, there's this line, this is the, it's too obvious that there's this line from, from a rapper I like who says that everything I'm not made me everything that I am, which I think is just a, one of those clever lines you only find in rap music. But John the Baptist has this, has this line of sort of, that as he's saying, I am not Elijah. I'm not the Messiah. I am not the one who is, who is um, going to come after Elijah to set all this right. He's not any of those things. So John has this very clear understanding of, I am not these things that you are looking for. Now, in the other Gospels, Jesus will allude to that John sort of is Elijah, but John wouldn't be the first person to misunderstand who he was in God's eyes in his own way. John is not the first person to go, I'm not that. Um, I mean, for many of us, it's like that I am not dearly beloved by God is a truth I live with all the time, and yet that's what I am. He's not the first person to misname who he was. I don't think he's lying to the people. I just think he's not fully understanding his role as the precursor to who Jesus is. But he says, I am not these things. And so he knows who he is not. And then in good preacher fashion, there are three I am's. Now in Jesus' John's gospel, Jesus uses I am's to say who he is very often. Now you'll notice that one, the last one, is a bit of a stretch. But he'll say, I am a voice in the wilderness. He calls out to the book of Isaiah for that one, preparing the way. I am a baptizer, but I baptize with water. I am unworthy to untie the person who comes after me. Now, we've talked a lot about in this Advent that there's this way in which we in Advent anticipate both backwards and forwards. We put ourselves in the place of Israel as the church and sort of anticipate as best as we can God's incarnation so it can be renewed in our hearts and minds as a truth that we live with. We also look forward to Jesus' return and second coming, which is something that we name really well in a lot of the Advent hymns as well. We name both those truths in sort of Advent. But I think this Sunday has a good, good opportunity to teach us what John knows is that we are not the Messiah. We are not God. We are not the perfect ones. That Thessalonians reading that John, or that Don, <laughs> confusing you, um, Don read for us says that this is a work that God will do in and among us because God is faithful. So often we can think that this is a mountain to climb. It's something for us to do. But really the truth of the gospel that we find this Sunday and the truth of Advent that we find is that Jesus is coming amongst us, and that means he has that job and we don't. Now, this is where I think everybody's like, well, some of you might be like, duh. Um, And some of you might be like that because you don't struggle with this. But others of us at times think we could do a better job than God. 
We think we can live these truths better. We can set the world more in fair ways. We can set things to planes even. We can even be perfect as he was perfect. We can begin to sort of think that it's up to us to make sure the world is saved. We can volunteer at everything that we can. There are so many ways in which this works out. Uh, At least I can have the perfect household or the perfect yard. We begin to sort of at least find one way in which maybe we can be perfect as well. But this Sunday teaches us that that's not for us to do or to be, but to bear witness to the one who is. Now, going back in the reading up, up towards where uh, this great reading from the beginning of John starts, and it said, John testified concerning him, crying out, this is the one whom said comes up, sorry, wrong, wrong portion, um, that this man was sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. One of my favorite parts about this season is this phrase, light. We are not the light, that Christ comes as light, and we bear witness to the light. As many of you know, Thursday is the darkest night in the Northern Hemisphere. For the early Christians, around this time of year when they would celebrate this feast of God being with us, they would really latch on to this, that the world is so dark, and yet light comes among us. That in a dark world, light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it, is a phrase that John uses as well the gospel writer of John. There's two Johns this Sunday. There's the guy who wrote the gospel of John and John the Baptist. So it's up to you to keep them straight because I'm not going to do as good of a job as that. Uh, John the writer says that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. There's a phrase we sang today that said, true God of true God, light of light eternal, born of the Father, uh, now in flesh appearing. Uh, that comes from O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. That line there, like, it's like, welcome to third century conflicts over who Jesus is. It's a very old historic line. We don't know it now when we sing it, especially when we sing it at like Macy's, but that line comes out of like a hard conflict in the third century, that begotten, not created. And so for me, and it's hard to express this, I spend some of this time of year storing up in myself and thinking about the way, what does it mean that God comes as light in a world of darkness? As we've talked about before, in the first century world, light is not as simple as a light switch. And for the most part, in the dark, up until basically the advent of electricity, the dark was extremely unsafe. If you had a torch, it was something that could be taken from you. If you had something to light your path, it's something that could be put out. It's not like there are street lights that you, you accept will be on. And so darkness was a time in which many people would come into their house. They wouldn't go out. They would stay in. Dark was a time for all the bad things to sort of happen. Now, as your mother might have said, nothing good happens after 9 p.m., go to bed. But there's a different sentiment in the first century world in which everything outside at night is amplified in its threats. Darkness is a scary time. What does it mean that Jesus comes among us as light in the first century world? 
What does it mean that He comes into a time of darkness as light? One of the truths I think that any good story can tell us that we're supposed to particularly live into is it can actually tell us the truth as well. As, as David alluded to in the interaction, these are dark times as well. The world exists in dark times. And so what happens when Jesus comes into the world as light is he names that even in the midst of darkness, God comes as one of light. So light has this ability in which it illumines, it shines forth, it changes. When you think about God, this is one of those maybe third century points, but when you think about God, light is something that can be shared without being diminished, particularly fire. You know, you, you can share and multiply light without diminishing the light that was there. When you think about God becoming incarnate in Jesus Christ, there was this challenge in that first three centuries to say, well, how does that work? Is God diminished? And so light is one of those things that helps us to say that God is spread and illumined and magnified in who Jesus is, but not diminished in who he is as God. God is magnified in who Jesus is is a truth that I think I hold dear during this time of the year as well, that we can store up that. The other one is a, is a nerdy physics point, which I'm guessing I have wrong. Joey, you can tell me after the sermon. Um, uh, but is that Bob Dylan has this song that, that's not dark yet, but it's getting there. And as far as I understand, darkness, absolute darkness, has to have no light at all. So you might say it's dark outside, but if there is some semblance of light, it's not dark yet. Light, weirdly enough, always seems to triumph over darkness if there's just a smidge of it. In, in physics, absolute dark would have no light at all. And if there's an ability to have a little bit of light, then it's not dark yet. It's not as dark as it could be. Darkness has not yet put out the light. I love that image in so many ways, but it teaches us that as dark as it can seem in our lonely existence, as dark as it can seem in the world, as dark as it can seem in the challenges and the trials we have, if there is some light, it's not dark yet. And for Christians, there's always some light because Christ comes as light into the world. This names the light that, that John is a witness to. But my last sort of point for today's sermon is, is on this phrase sort of as witness. What does it mean to bear witness to something? I know we've talked about this before, but, but the Greek word for witness is, is very similar to the word martyr. It's to be a witness is to be close to being a martyr for something. So what does it mean for John as sort of the first of these witnesses to who Jesus Christ? What does it mean for us here, the 21st century as Defiance Church, to be a witness to what God has done in Jesus to first off accept that we're not the light. 
That's, a, that's the first, first challenge to get over, is to first off accept that as much as we may enjoy or love or feel great about what we have here, we're not the light. But we are a witness to the light. And how does that shine forth behind us? That John, as this witness, sort of comes forth. And so this, this image is from a, a famous old painting. Um, and this is John pointing at Jesus on the cross, which... This artist did not have to worry about John's dead when Jesus goes to the cross. Well, anyways, he's pointing at Jesus and the cross, and the phrase there is, he must increase and I must decrease, which is a phrase from the Gospel of John, from John the Baptist later, is that John the Baptist will begin to say of himself that as Christ is coming into the world, that he must increase and I must decrease. There's lots of historical ways we could read that, and it makes sense within the nature of the Gospel of John, but it also makes sense, I think, in some ways for how we bear witness, that God must increase, and what I want and what I need and these things that all can sort of get in the way must decrease now, this doesn't mean that, that food, shelter, that says in Matthew that our Heavenly Father cares for those things. But I think as the Christmas season comes among us, then I can't be the only one, there are ways in which I want me to increase, but not God to decrease. I don't want that. But John, John sort of names it well, is that for him to increase, sometimes our desires, our wants, and our needs must decrease as well. That we live in sort of that way in which we can bear witness to who Christ is. Now, one of my favorite quotes around this, which I, a, a theologian I like had used for a long time, um, and I didn't know it came from somebody else, but it says, to be a witness does not consist in, in engaging in propaganda, nor storing up people, but in being a living mystery. It means to live in such a way that one's life would not make sense if God did not exist. To be a witness to the light and life we have in Jesus means for Defiance Church to be in some way that it would not make sense if God did not exist. To be a living mystery to what is the truth of the world behind us. To have that sort of come into the world and into being. Now, to be a living mystery, that's a high challenge, so I'm, uh, but I do think it's helpful to think about. But for Defiance Church, what does it mean to, to be a witness in a way that if the God did not exist, that we worship and call out truthfully, our lives would make no sense? Now, you could be thinking of big things, but I think one of the easiest ways is that we give up Sunday morning for an hour and 15 minutes to come to this place, to be together, to share with people who aren't our kin, aren't our family, and to hear from one another, to read from a very old book, if we're reading from the Old Testament, even older, and offer ourselves up, and we partake of a meal in which we believe God becomes present to us. I think to, to think that, okay, so for me to be a witness the way that John is a witness is to live in a life in which God, if God did not exist, my life wouldn't make sense, is a very, very high challenge. I think at its peak it is, but at its smallness it's not. 
Some of you are doing sort of the Advent devotional that we printed out, is that we've been talking about this at the, at the small group, is to kneel when we pray, for me, has become one of these things that opens up a space within me. But kneeling, praying and calling out to God, literally would almost make no sense if the God that we believe in didn't exist. Presenting my concerns, presenting my life, presenting my hopes, my dreams, my fears, my failures, and my sins to be forgiven is something that doesn't make a lot of sense if God doesn't exist. So there are small ways in which we can, we can be this living mystery. The psalm for today proclaimed that there that David read is a psalm of both joy and sorrow. It's one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 126. But what that psalm said is that those who plant tears will someday reap a harvest. That is, those who go out, and this is, I think, another way in which we can be a witness, is to plant tears for the darkness that's in the world, to plant tears for the trials that are in the world to plant tears for our own selves, that, that these people who were in exile, they planted tears. And what Psalm 126 says is they come back. Those tears have seeded into a harvest. Crying is not something we do very well today. Crying is not something we do very well if you think about uh, things that don't affect you. You know, you may shed tears over things that are, that are near to you. This is, this is similar to what Jesus will say is that somebody may die for a friend, but rarely does somebody die for an enemy or someone they don't know. We may shed tears for a friend or a family member, but what does it mean to shed tears, to plant tears for the sake of a world that is at odds? One of the, one of the Christmas hymns says that it's a weary world. And to see as witnesses, and to believe that the planting of tears is actually going to bring about a harvest. This goes into John's truth, the writer of the Gospel of John, that I think is one that we store up within our hearts this season as well, is that when the light shines in the darkness, the darkness does not overcome it. That when the light of Christ shines in this place, darkness cannot extinguish it, is the truth. And so what John, Don read at the end of uh, um, uh, Thessalonians about that this is God's work for us and that may God may sanctify us in peace through and through is the way another translation puts it. That God may sanctify us. Paul ends with his great line, but he will do it, which I think is the good news of the gospel. Let us pray. God, we come as ones who know what we're not. We know that we are not the light. We, many of us, know that we aren't prophets. We aren't Elijah. We aren't the one who comes after Elijah. but we are ones who can witness to the light of life coming among us. 
May here at Defiance Church, may we become ones who make straight the way for the Lord to come into the world. The songs we sang this morning announce the transformation of this place. So in the small and tiny ways in which we can be a witness, may that make your path straight and may you come among us. Amen.